Good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us uh, today. Um, something that we love to do before we get our um, just our time started together is we love to say the Grace Life welcome. Um, so I'd love for you to just read along um, on the screen with me. Um, you don't have to do it out loud like we do our charge, but um, just rest in, in this invitation. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So I hope that you all feel welcome this morning and that um, we all find that peace and um, encouragement today together as we worship God. Um, I just wanted to mention as well, um, if needed at any time, if there's, we have some prayer requests, um, little cards right outside the door. Um, that's also where the offering box is. Um, if at any time you have questions or need help, you can find me. I sit um, in the back uh, helping with the live stream, and then um, I'll be in the lobby as well. Um, and now we'll have a time of worship. morning, Grace Life. How you guys doing this morning? You guys awake? How you guys doing this morning? There you are. You guys want to stand with us and worship our King?
are victorious. We are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever. Forevermore, you are victorious.
Father God, we just praise you this morning, Father, just that you would allow us into your presence, Father. Just praise that you, every, for you for everything that you're doing within our church, Father God. We just ask that we would just lift your holy name up this morning, Father give, God, and give you all the glory, honor, and praise that you deserve, Father. Before I start the song, I'm going to try not to cry during the song, but I was playing last night at a, a Hispanic church over in uh, Daytona. If you guys have ever been to a Hispanic church, yo, it is like lit, like jumping, dancing, singing. It's crazy, but uh, after I went with a bunch of musicians afterwards, went to Denny's, I was out to like way too late last night, 3 a.m. I'm too old for this stuff now, but we are kind of just sitting, joking around, talking about the word and everything we were doing um, that went on in the worship service and kind of stopped for a second and thought back of where I was like 10 years ago and where God has pulled me from playing in bars 10 years ago to now worshiping the king being in the presence of sexual morality, drunkenness, and drug use, to being in the presence of God. And there's no comparison to his presence, amen? My soul is in my soul. 
perfect submission All is at rest I am my Savior Am happy and blessed Watching Jesus, a name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no Ever bring 
Just ask that you would speak through Tommy this morning. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, Father. 
We just want to continue to pray against any distractions that are going to come across against our church, Father God, during this time of us talking about just loving you and serving your people, Father God, and protecting our, our culture at our church, Father God. We just pray against Satan and his, his attacks that may try to come and cause division, Father. We love you. Amen. All reliable right here. I'm out of there. Okay. Good morning. I would have said I could have read it loud enough, but it's 17 verses, so I don't know about that. Um, our scripture for this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And it should be up there, I guess. I'm so used to behind. Um, so you can read along with me there or on your device. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, 
but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I think I went too far. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll just finish it so we leave it on a note there. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Thanks. I love that chapter, so (laughs) I got carried away. Check. As soon as we start praying against the attacks of Satan, amen? I can use this if I have to. rather use that <laughs> for the people that are online we already got the the camera over here so in a moment <laughs> satan hates it when we talk about serving in the kingdom doesn't he I wonder if, uh, can the camera just move over this way, I guess? Can we do that? All right, I think we'll make this work this way. Well, good morning. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name's Tommy, and I'm the, hey, it's working. It was batteries. All right, so is it this one or this one? All right, I'll use this one. Thank you, TJ. Thank the Lord for for people that understand tech better than I do. He was tired. He was out late, remember? <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Gennay. Thanks, TJ. Thank you, tech team. You know what, guys? Yeah. God, for, for worship teams and tech people, and there's so many people, and it really plays into what I want to talk about today. There's so many people that go uncelebrated, unseen, unnoticed, unsung, that if they don't show up and do what they do, we don't have a service. We're not online. We're not able to serve the people that are at home. Uh, being safe and staying being wise about not coming back yet. So I just want to thank them and, and just pause and pray, and then we'll jump into this text. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the freedom we have and the privilege and the honor of gathering together as the people of God under the banner 
of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place, would fill our hearts, would open our eyes to see the, the beauty and the power in this passage of who Jesus is, what his mission was, what his agenda was, and how that should be our mission and our agenda. And we should be characterized by humble, Christ-like service to others, those who don't deserve it, even those who are our enemies, Lord. You demonstrated that in the upper room. Help us to see that and believe that and be liberated and empowered by it, Lord, to be motivated by it, by your love. That's what motivates us. And I pray, as TJ did, you would remove anything that, that would distract or hinder this today. Be with those in, in the South that have just been ravaged by the Hurricane Laura sweeping through. Be with, be with Ken and with Fran um, and with Steve three of our members, Lord, who have gone down to do hurricane relief this week. Keep them safe. Help them to be witnesses and ambassadors for you as they serve others, Lord, in your name. And be with the political upheaval, Lord. It's an election year, and it seems like every time we, we look at the news or read a, an article, Lord, there's just more upheaval and more conflict and more anger and misunderstanding and, and diverse opinions and confusion. And Just help us, Lord, to be salt and light and to stand out and be distinct and point to, to you as the solution to everything. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you can keep your Bibles open to John chapter 13. Um, Charles Marsh wrote a biography of a man you've probably heard of. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was a pastor in Germany at the, at the height of Hitler and his cruel, tyrannic rule there. And his biographer wrote a book called Strange Glory, and in that book, there's this really powerful scene with Dietrich Bonhoeffer at the center of it. The year is 1935. Germany is under the tyranny of Hitler, and he is forming an army that's, that's fashioned by hate, by cruelty, by murder, by death, by intimidation. All the young men that signed up under him were intimidated to do that, and then there was a sense of pride and loyalty, false loyalty they felt toward him, and he's amassing and building this massive army, and he's gaining more and more control, and he has put his foot in the door of the German church. He's commanded that they remove the Old Testament from their scriptures. He's commanded that they not allow non-Aryan clergy and even members to be a part of that church. How crazy was that? I think we forget... You know, he was slaughtering six million Jews, which was bad enough in and of itself, but all the other things going on underneath that with the church. And pastors were afraid, and they were vacillating and compromising. And Bonhoeffer, who was in America, came back. He couldn't stand the thought of not serving his country and the Christian church when they needed him the most. And he came back, and he agreed in 1935 when he saw how formidable the training was of Hitler, that the church needed help. The church needed to be trained, too. And so he agreed to lead this small, ragtag group of pastors in an underground seminary to train them up. In 1935, he agreed to do that. It was going to be a small, humble, secret group of men in a town called Finkenwald. Now here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's this giant of an intellect. He got his doctorate in theology when he was 21. I was still watching Scooby-Doo. Saturday morning, he was getting his doctor, just to put that in perspective. 
And he got his doctorate, and, and he was invited to go and teach and write at seminaries in the United States where he was safe. And instead, he, he threw all of that away, and he said, I'm going to where the need is the greatest. And he devoted himself, threw himself, at serving this young, ragtag group of men who needed training. And his vision for that training was to match belief with practice. Does that sound familiar? That's what this series is all about, culture. There's, a, there's the gospel doctrine, the theology that, that comes down vertically, and it beautifies our relationships within the church horizontally. So belief that matches practice, that's what he wanted to do at that seminary, and he did do that. It was super intense. He wanted to train up disciples whose faithfulness to Jesus Christ, despite the cost, would match that of the Third Reich to Hitler and surpass that. But people thought he was too intense. They thought Bonhoeffer is just, he's super spiritual and he's overdoing it. He's going to wear these guys out. This is crazy. Nobody's ever done anything like this. Well, one of his good friends actually was so convinced that he was over-spiritualizing this that he came to visit from a long distance. He came and he saw... Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he stayed there, and, and Bonhoeffer early in the morning woke up. He said, I want to take you on a trip. He said, we're going to go on a, on a rowing trip down the river. And he got in their, in their boat, and they rowed down, and he crossed the river, and he got on the other side, and he took his friend up on the banks of that river. And there together, they overlooked Hitler down in this uh, field training his army. And the, the biographer says it was a really powerful moment for that friend to see why Dietrich Bonhoeffer was doing what he was doing. So they stand on the banks, and he points down to where Hitler is training this army of murderers who are going to be cruel, they're going to kill and exterminate Jews, they're going to lie, they're going to manipulate, they're going to control, they're going to bully and intimidate, and they're going to have great power and authority. And Bonhoeffer looks at that, and he looks at his friend who thinks he's overdoing it. And he basically, the biographer boils down the conversation to saying this, Bonhoeffer said, what we're doing here in this seminary, what I'm doing here with these men, has got to be more powerful than what they're doing over there, or the church is not going to survive. What we're doing here has got to be more powerful and more compelling and more beautiful and more attractive and more long-lasting than what they're doing over there. And the biographer says that was a powerful moment. And in some ways, if you think about it, it was laughable. I mean, here's this army. Hundreds of thousands of people fiercely loyal to Hitler. They would give their life for him. And here's this small ragtag group of trainees. Half of them would vacillate and sign their loyalty over to Hitler because they were afraid. Others would be arrested. In two years' time, the Gestapo went down that underground seminary and would arrest Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And you know the story. He was persecuted. He was killed and hung on the gallows for his resistance to Hitler. So in some ways, it's almost, you would think, it's laughable. Really? Was what you were doing more powerful than that? But I will tell you this. When you mention the name Hitler, what are your thoughts now? When I mention the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what comes to your mind? You know, he wrote two books that are more memorable than any others. One was Life Together. He wrote it when he was at that underground seminary. And the other one is The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a vision that what he was doing in serving, humbly serving this young ragtag group of roughnecks was more powerful and was more important than what Hitler 
was doing over there. And it was true. And I think of that as we talk about culture in the church. Because we see what's happening in the world. And we see what stands out to people, what's important to people. How they view themselves and their place in the world, amassing more power, more authority, climbing the ladder, using people. It's basically a system of consumerism. We're trained at a very early age to be consumers. To just use the system, to use people. Whoever gets in the way, you've got to make your way to the top. And I believe the Bible is, is really telling us what Bonhoeffer was telling his friend. What we're doing in here has got to be more powerful than what they're doing out there. And I believe that was what Jesus saw was at stake in the upper room when he's talking to his disciples here. How do we do that? Hitler's not pressuring us, but the Bible says we have the devil, we have the flesh, and we have the world. And don't you feel it? <laughs> don't you feel the battle? Don't you feel the war being raged? Waged in your own members. If what we're going to do in here is going to be more powerful than what's going on out there, then it has to be different than what's going on out there. It's got to be different. It's got to be in stark contrast. And that is the kingdom of God. When, when Jesus talked about the kingdom, it was an upside-down kingdom. It was a counterintuitive kingdom. The way up is where? Down. And you receive by giving. And you live by dying. <laughs> And you're blessed by giving yourself away. And here's a big one. You lead by serving. You lead by serving. And friends, I want to tell you something. Leading, or you could say ruling, or having authority, having position, and serving, that, those two things, the world gives you a false dichotomy. They say those two things cannot coexist. You either lead or you serve. But you don't do both. But Jesus says, no, you, you must do both. A leader is a servant, a servant leader. That's what constituted Jesus' entire life and his entire ministry. Now, I'm not going to reread the whole passage that Melissa just read, but what stands out to me in chapter 13 of John is how the author, the Apostle John, leads up to Jesus standing up girding himself with the towel, stooping down and washing his disciples' filthy feet. Because it's interesting the way he builds that up. He tells us exactly what was on the mind and the heart of Jesus. Jesus is racing toward the cross. He knows that very night he's going to be betrayed by somebody right there sitting at the table eating with him. He's going to be denied three times by his closest, most devoted follower. All of his other disciples are going to desert him. He's going to stand and taste the wrath of God on behalf of his people. And he's going to rise from the grave three days later. And he's going to go and sit down at the right hand of God. All of that is on his mind. What we don't really know is what's going on in the mind and the heart of the disciples. And so I just want to read a passage really briefly. By the way, what would be on your mind and heart? You're about to be betrayed, denied. Abandoned, deserted, taste the wrath of God for your enemies, serve them in that way. What would you be thinking of? It's interesting if we look and see what Jesus was thinking of, because it tells us the thing that occupied his mind and heart was his disciples. He sees them, and he knows these disciples are ignorant, they're blind, they're proud, they have blind spots. You say, how do you know that? Well, Luke and Mark tell us. Because it's beautiful if you look at the whole tapestry of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
John doesn't tell us what Luke and, and Mark tell us. So the disciples were actually having an argument at that very moment. And Luke tells us what the argument consists of. This is a conversation that erupted right after Jesus declared that one of them would betray him. One of his 12 disciples would betray him. This is Luke 22. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying, I would never do that. You'd do it, Peter. You'd do it. No, Andrew, you would do it. So they're arguing, who's the worst? Who's the lowest? Who's the most depraved and despicable and disgusting traitor that would do such a thing? And they're pointing the fingers. And then verse 24 says this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? First, who's the lowest? Greatest. <laughs> who's the worst center in their midst? And who's the, ma- the most elevated and lofty? Who's going to have the corner office? Who's going to be in the inside cabinet of the risen Lord Jesus when he's ready to conquer Rome and shake off the yoke of the bondage that's, that's been over the Jews for all these centuries? That's what they're thinking of. They're thinking of glory and power. They're drunk with it. They're obsessed with it. Just like people in America are. And you see that attitude comes into the church. We're thinking, what's in this for me? What can I get out of this? And then Jesus responds in this way, and I'm going to read from Mark chapter 10. Check this out. So Jesus, facing the wrath of God, betrayal, denial, all the things that were going to happen that night, being crucified, being mocked, spit upon, he sees the heart of his disciples. He knows if he doesn't do something, this... Just, just to up the ante a little bit, this is not good. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven rests on the shoulders of these 12 men getting this message out. And they've been with Jesus three years, and they're still struggling with this, being self-centered, being arrogant, being proud. Jesus has got to do something. So what's he going to do? Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, this is in Mark 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's like the key statement in the whole book of Mark we just finished preaching through not long ago. For the Son of Man has come, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you ever heard of a king who came to actually serve? I know we we had this idea of public servants today, and usually it's a government official, an elected politician, but rarely does that idea get fleshed out to where we see it. It's almost as if most leaders who have authority want you to serve them. And Jesus came and he said, it shall not be so among you, because the Son of Man, I mean, it's interesting to me if you, how did Jesus view his life and his mission and his agenda? That's important to know. How did Jesus view himself? Well, he sums it up right there. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. Now, if that was his agenda, if that was the way he viewed his mission, what does that say about the way we should view our agenda and the way we should view our mission? Why are we here? Why did Jesus leave us here? 
He left us here so that we could serve others, even our enemies, and that we could serve one another. You know, this series is about doctrine and about culture. And the doctrine that we see in the upper room is when Jesus stooped and he began to wash his disciples' feet, starting with Peter. And Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, Peter, if I don't do this, you will not have any part with me. That word for part, it means you're not going to be united to me. You don't have a share with me. You're not going to be a part of my kingdom if you don't let me serve you. Because Peter, you don't understand, I have to serve you. In order for you to be right with God, God has to send his son to stoop and humble himself and condescend and to serve you. Well, to what extent? Well, Mark just told us to give his life a ransom. So Jesus, here's the doctrine. Jesus came to serve us. That's the doctrine. That's the example. That's the picture in John 13. Well, what's the culture? And the culture is this. Jesus says, do you see what I have done for you? Did you hear that when Melissa read it earlier? So interesting. Rarely does Jesus say that. He says, do you see what I have just done for you? You don't understand it now. You will after the cross. He says, done for you, I've given you an example. I've given you an example so that you would do this for each other, for one another. Isn't that an upside down concept for us? You would think Jesus said, do you see what I've done for you? Now you do that for me. That's not what he said. It's not, he said, I've given you the doctrine. I've given you the example. Now do this for one another. That's gospel doctrine, creating a gospel culture that's beautiful, that's powerful, that's counterintuitive, and it stands in stark contrast against the world. And I would say what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in 1933, what we're doing in here has got to be more powerful than what they're doing out there. And in order for it to be more powerful and more beautiful, it's got to be different. And in order for it to be different, it's got to be what Jesus us. His entire life was devoted to service, even dying on a cross for his enemies. So that's what this passage is really all about, the whole thing, the whole thing. So Jesus is doing this as a lesson for us, and what's the lesson? I know I usually have three outlines and a poem, right? Today it's just sniper bullet. I want to share one thing, and then I want to encourage and challenge the entire church. So here's the lesson. What's the lesson that Jesus is trying to communicate? It's this. If serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. That's the lesson, period. Exclamation point, end of sentence. And I'll say it again. If serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And I would even say scratch leadership. If serving is beneath you, then being identified as a follower of Jesus is beyond you. Because that's what you're considered a servant. The word is doulos in the New Testament. They even try to soften that, some translators, by calling it a bondservant. But the word in Greek, it means a slave. It means one indebted to the service of others. That's the word Jesus uses here. Is that you must do this for others. You have a debt to do what I've done to you to others. Isn't that interesting? I want to read the very first part of that again. Just the first three verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, his hour, the hour of suffering, Jesus knew what was about to happen. That his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. Who's he thinking of? 
his disciples. He loved them. He calls them his own. Sounds like something Gollum would say about the ring, doesn't it? (laughs) I don't know about you. That moves me. How does Jesus Christ think of me? That will say a lot about your theology, how you answer that. This text tells me Jesus Christ calls me his own. I belong to him. I am in his family. He loves me. I am precious to him. He rejoices over me. And he's saying this knowing what's in the heart of his disciples that I've just read to you. They're arguing over who's the worst and who's the best. And he calls him them his own. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come down from God and was going back to God, what did he do? You would th- if, you, if you didn't know this story, honestly, be honest. If you didn't know this story, you would think, oh, here's the man who the Father had given all things into his hands. Same language as Matthew 28. All authority has been given to Jesus. And he knows everything that's going on. He knows that his betrayer is sitting at that table with him. And verse 4 says he rose from the table. What would you expect Jesus to do? Seriously. If you didn't know the rest of the story. <laughs> he's, he is about to tear into Judas. Saying how dare you sit at this table. The, the degree of hypocrisy is staggering Judas. And Peter. You guys are arguing over who's the greatest. You're about to deny me three times, and all of you are going to run away and deny that you never knew that you. He doesn't do that. (laughs) He could have, with lightning in his eyes, he could have judged all of them. You know what he does? He adopts the position of a servant. And just to give you some context, because I know a lot of us read this passage, and I don't want to be too critical, but I think a lot of people have a very shallow understanding of this. Did you know that to wash the feet? of somebody in that culture, you could not make a slave do that. It was illegal in some municipalities for you to make a slave wash the feet of a house guest. It was considered so low and so demeaning and so undignified to do that. But yet, it was the custom that somebody should do it. That was a part of Middle Eastern culture, the sandals, the dust, the dirt. And when they reclined at a table, their feet weren't underneath them like ours are. Actually, like ours, a little better, you know. My stinky feet, I want under the table and hidden and away. Back then, they reclined on the floor on pillows. So if you were eating, <laughs> you know, you're, you're eating your pizza and somebody's nasty feet are right next to you. Nasty feet, gross. They didn't have pedicures back then or any of that stuff, right? And so everyone is eating dinner. The meal is almost And Jesus has let the whole evening go and nobody has done what should have been done. Nobody has stooped to wash anybody else's feet. And Jesus has watched that, and he's taken note of that. But it's got to be done. It should have been done. Jesus just didn't say, gee, what, can I, what illustration can I use to help people know Jesus was doing something that should have been done and needed to be done, but that everyone else thought was beneath them. But it wasn't beneath him. So he did it. He was paying attention. This, this reminds me of a favorite story of Reagan, who was the president. He was the governor of California a long time ago. And uh, there's a famous story about him. One July the 4th, they had a big blowout July 4th barbecue and party. And there was a big swimming pool in the backyard. There were 200 
powerful, important people there that had clout, that were movers and shakers. He was an actor for years in Hollywood, so there were, there were probably celebrities there, actors, actresses, and there were politicians there, the movers and the shakers, but it was a family event too, so there were a lot of kids there and they were all swimming in a swimming pool. And Ronald Reagan was having a conversation with people and he was looking behind them over and over, his biographer says, and eventually he said, excuse me for a moment. And he ran and he dove into the swimming pool and he saved the life of a seven-year-old little girl that was drowning on the bottom. Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, <laughs> he dives into the swimming pool and rescues a seven-year-old girl. Why? Because it needed to be done and nobody else was doing it. There were 200 politicians and celebrities and powerful people. And movers. They, were, they were probably having deals in the back room, you know, and... Even the girl's parents weren't paying attention. Ronald Reagan was paying attention to what was going on. And in his suit and tie, he dove in the swimming pool and picked a seven-year-old girl up named Alicia, and he rescued her. Nobody was paying attention to these kids. Nobody was, was the last thing on their mind. But he was. And that's what serving is. We're paying attention to things going on around us, needs that have to be met, things that have to be done. It's the upside-down kingdom, and we're not waiting to see who will do it. We take that upon ourselves. That's what being a servant is. If Jesus viewed his mission and his life that way, what does that say about the way we should view our mission in our life and what agenda we should adopt for ourselves? If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you, and you are putting yourself at odds with the Son of God who came to serve, the ruler who came to serve. What a, a dichotomy is that? How counterintuitive is that? I would imagine if most 21st century Americans didn't know a thing about who Jesus was, and you could somehow uh, make that room materialize and everyone be there and say, hey, walk in that room and tell me who's in charge there. And they would walk in and see Jesus stooping, washing the feet of his protesting disciples. And they would say, well, I can tell you who's not in charge. Probably not that guy. They're like, no, actually, he's the leader. <laughs> that's, the, that's God, actually. You know, it wasn't like God's to wash the feet of their enemies. That didn't happen very often. In fact, I read nowhere in Jewish or Greco-Roman literature can you ever find a superior stooping to wash the feet of an inferior. Nowhere. Even in the life of peers, rarely was that done. I mean, the disciples were not about to wash one another's feet. Why? They were arguing over who was the greatest. That's a really good way to lose the argument. <laughs> Argue for who's the greatest as you're washing somebody's feet, but that's precisely what Jesus did because he wasn't there to win an argument. He was there to give his life, pour himself out on behalf of those who needed it the most. His mission was to serve, was to serve his enemies, was to serve proud people, confused people, ignorant people, hurting people, marginalized people. That was not beneath Jesus. You know, that was a saying Jeff and I had when we first came here in 2015 and planted this church, because we were the, the, the two leaders that were first here, and there were lots of things we, we didn't even know what we were doing. In some ways, maybe we still don't. We're like, we got to get somebody to do this, and Jeff's, you know, we're like, who are we going to get to do it? We'd say, we'll do it. He said, man, should we do it? Can we do it? And we would say, this is not beneath us. It is not beneath me to do anything that needs to be done in this church. A lot of the stuff I can't do. I'm too dumb. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to, to get the PowerPoint up or change the batteries in this. It's, I'm clueless. 
but it's not beneath me. And it shouldn't be beneath any of us to meet a need, to see a need, and to dive into the swimming pool if we got our suit on, right? Or to wash somebody's feet if they need to be washed. Not just as an illustration or an example or a lesson, an object lesson, but because it needs to be done. That was the doctrine. If I don't serve you, then you don't have a part with me. The language is that of the stock market. You want to share? You want to share in this? Then I have to serve you. You're like, but Jesus, I'm going to serve you. But we've, we've tried that, right? <laughs> that was the whole point. Jesus says, no, religion says you serve God. And that failed. I mean, they were supposed to have been serving God for centuries, and it was a failure. God had to send his son to come and serve us so that now, don't miss this, so that now we can serve him by serving one another. We don't serve him to be accepted by him. Jesus already accomplished and secured that. We're accepted by God. We're reconciled. We're made right with God. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. We're brought inside because of Jesus. And now we're freed. We're liberated to do hard things, to do costly things, to do sacrificial things. Like Amy Carmichael did. She went to India and spent 55 years of her life serving girls that were sold into temple prostitution. 55 years of her life. And then she fell and had a horrible accident and was bedridden for over a decade and a half. And she couldn't do what she wanted to do, so she wrote books. She wrote over 36 books. And her example inspired a couple named Jim and Elizabeth Elliot to go to a hard-to-reach people group in Central America where he was martyred. Service inspires people. It really does. Amy Carmichael said this. She said, it's possible to give or to serve without loving, but it is not possible to love without serving. Jesus says, if you love, you will serve. That's the model. That's the example that he gave in this passage. He stooped and he washed the disciples' feet. And what's going to happen when you do this? You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to have to resist the lie. There's two lies, really. The lie that, you know, this is beneath you. You don't have to do this. <laughs> and the lie that says, this is beyond you. You don't have to let this be done to you. Both of those things are taking place with Peter and Jesus. Jesus in verse 6, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, and he said, What I am doing now, you do not understand. But afterwards, you will understand. Man, I'll read that, and I want to pray and ask God, Help me to live the kind of Christian life where people that see me living the Christian life say, um, You don't have to do that. And for me able to be able to say, You don't understand this right now, but you will later. Isn't that a lot of the Christian life? Why are those people doing that? Why are they responding that way? You don't understand this right now, but hopefully God will open your eyes and you'll see later the power in this, the beauty in this, how Christ-like this is. He's saying, if I don't serve you, you don't have a part with me, Peter. This is the culture. This is a culture that I think is really hard for churches because it's such an upstream fight against what the world is showing us. There's this idea of consumerism. You come to church and you just receive. You're just here to get. And in some mega churches, it's really like a production and you're an audience. You just come and you listen. You don't even sing. You come and you listen to the music. You come and you listen to the preacher. 
You don't have to give a tithe or an offering. You don't have to serve. You don't have to share. You just show up and then you leave. It's consumerism. And the world is like cramming that down its own throat and the church buys into that. Or then you, you use people to get what you want. You don't stoop to serve people. And Jesus is turning that on its head. This should be part of the culture of, of the church and of this church. In a world of consumerism where people are using one another, Jesus Christ calls us to humble, humble service. If you would be great, then serve. That's what he says. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Mother Teresa said this, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. I think so many people feel overwhelmed. Well, I don't have any gifts. There's nothing that I can do. There is a, a world of need and a world of hurt, both inside the church and outside the church. I was reading John Tyson. He wrote a book called Beautiful Resistance, and he's a pastor in New York. He almost died. He caught COVID-19, um, but he was talking about the, at the peak of COVID-19, he would get up super early in New York City, and he would prayer walk very passionate, intense prayer warrior for intercessory prayer. And he said there was only two types of people up early in New York City, investment bankers and homeless people. <laughs> there are only two types of people that are awake as early as I get up. And he said he was walking the streets and he was praying, Lord, show me where you're at today. Show me where you're at. I want to advance your kingdom. I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So show me where you're at and let me join you in your work. And he said a homeless lady came up to him and she said, do you have any money? And he said he felt terrible because usually he does carry money. He loves to give it to, to homeless people. And he said, actually, I, I actually don't have any money. And she said, well, would you just sit with me and talk with me? She said, I'm so lonely and I don't have any friends. And he said he sat that morning and spent about an hour with her. And as he's writing and talking, he said, I'm telling you, it was like the kingdom of God came down. Manifest presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit Right there in that moment, that conversation that I had with her. She shared her life, her struggles, and then she, thanked, she said, thank you for being so kind to me and serving me and, and giving yourself to me. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Neil Postman, he, he wrote the book Amusing Ourselves to Death. He used to talk about the lie of um, high information and low action. In other words, we... And I, I, Lord, please help this make sense to these people so they understand it. Guys, with the news feed and every, all the stuff we're, we're seeing, all these problems in the world today, and, and it's overwhelming, and we, many of us feel a sense of guilt and responsibility, I've got to do something to fix this. I've got to unite, and I've got to join this or that or, resist, or whatever it is. But the th things that we really have a very, very small measure of control over. It's, it's so grandiose, like I've got to, we want to bite off chunks of responsibility that, that God never really entrusted to us. We want to try and shape and move history in ways we're not gifted to do. Instead, God says, why don't you do what Mother Teresa talked about? Small acts of kindness with great love. Look around you and see who's hurting and who has a need. Look in the church and see where there's a gap that needs to be filled. Because what they're doing out there is powerful. What we're doing in here has got to be more powerful. And Jesus says it can be, and he says it should be. You know, years later after this, I don't think Peter ever forgot this example. He wrote in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, he said, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. 
For this is pleasing to the Lord, who gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. I think that image never left Peter's mind of Jesus standing up and girding himself, grabbing the basin and the pitcher of water and the towel and stooping and washing every one of his disciples' feet. Do you know only one person we read about left that room with unwashed feet? You know who it was? It wasn't Judas. The one who, if I read that account right and compare it to the other accounts, Jesus washed the feet of the man who sold him for 30 pieces of silver. He washed his feet. That's staggering to me. If the Son of Man can stoop and do that, show that act of kindness and love to his enemy, what does that say about the task that's before us? One of my favorite quotes by Elizabeth Elliot, I hope I get this right. She says, being a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. She was combating a lot of false teaching in her day. And she said this, she said, but being a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. I want to take that quote and let it stand as it is, but, but have my own version. Being a leader does not make you a different kind of Christian. But being a Christian should make you a different kind of leader. In stark contrast to what we see out there, a humble leader that does, doesn't use people, doesn't consume, who views himself or herself as an ambassador. You know, we use that word here for the people that serve in this church, an ambassador is. It's somebody who represents a king. It's a messenger with a powerful note from the monarch, and it says, this is what God is like, this is what God wants you to be like. So we call the servants here at Grace Life Church ambassadors. And I want to close with some application, okay, and maybe a challenge. There are two things that you could do to get in on the culture of service here. Two things. I, we're always asking that question uh, is there a low bar for entrance into this? Absolutely. Anybody can get in on a culture of serving at Grace Life Church, and I believe everybody should be. And this church in some ways astonishes me, not because of me, in spite of me, I promise you. <laughs> the good things about Grace Life Church, I have nothing to do with. The mediocre things that fail, I'm involved in. <laughs> the things that stand out, God does them. But one of the things that blows me away is the amount of servers we have at this church. What, Diane, there's 71 or 72 ambassadors at this church. That blows, that's over 50% of the people that are members and who attend here regularly. Blows me away. Serve in some capacity. Either greeting or setup or teardown or tech crew or worship team or prayer ministry or registration. And I'm probably missing a, a, a lot of other things that go on here. But it, ta it takes like a small army to even get a small church like Grace Life Church up and running, teaching the children in the back, changing diapers, those things are not beneath any of us. They shouldn't be, at least. If the Son of God did not view the most demeaning task as beneath Him, He viewed that actually as part of His mission. He was drawn to meet that need. He was drawn. He was the first one to sign up. I'm thinking of the, the first century Christians, what God did there. When the Cyprian plague broke out in Rome, and the Roman leaders and authorities were crucifying Christians and were persecuting Christians. And Nero was setting them on fire for torches in his garden. And the Cyprian plague broke out. And all the religious people 
The priests, the priestesses, they all fled Rome and left the plague to ravish families. They were piling up the bodies in the streets because they had no one left to care for them. And do you know that the Christians could not get into that city fast enough? Everyone else was running out and the Christians were running in. Why? Because Jesus had came. The Holy Spirit had came and filled their hearts. And they said, there's a need. We've got to go into the Roman city and we've got to serve the people that are slaughtering us. That just blows me away. Blows me away. They saw what Jesus was doing here and they wanted in on it. Tim Keller writes this, not only does Jesus come down from God to be a man, but secondly, he doesn't just come as a man, but as a servant. He doesn't just come as someone who leads a great political party to victory, but instead he comes to be crushed, to be disgraced, to be tortured, and to die on our behalf for us. Man, that The power and the beauty of that should compel us and invite us and draw us into being a part of a serving culture here. So the two questions are, how can you let this church serve you? And how can you let this church help you to serve others? There's two ways. Now, Megan and Diane are going to come up after we have communion, and they're going to share a little bit more in depth, two different ways to get in on serving, because this is community group season. We're going with the rhythm of school restarting. And we're ramping back up all of our stuff right now. Community groups are launching this week and next. You'll see some of the leaders, facilitators, and hosts. We'll have pictures up a little bit later for you to see. And we have a sign-up sheet out back. And we also have on the Church Center app. And this is for those of you who are watching from home too. One of the ways you can let this church serve you is by signing up to be a part of a community group. Because so many things take place at a community group that does not take place here on Sunday. We only rent this place for three hours. So we have decentralized a lot of our serving and evangelism and ministry and going and gathering and growing to community groups. So one of the ways you can let this church serve you is to sign up to be a part of a community group. we got five of them. One of them meets via Zoom for people that can't meet in person yet. And the other four meet, I think, in Orange City and Deland and and Deltona and another one in in, uh, East and West Deland. So that's one of the ways you can sign up on the clipboard. Or you can sign up digitally through the planning, uh, through the uh, Church Center app. And here's another way uh, that you can help this church serve others. We are ready to move into phase three of reopening. Phase three of reopening, which means this. We are ready to reopen kindergarten through fifth grade um, children's church in the back. And right now, I told you we had 71, 72 ambassadors, only about 50-something odd ambassadors are able to return, which means we really need help. We need help serving families, serving children, teaching them the gospel, imparting the gospel to them. We need your help doing that. It's not, it's, and if, don't be intimidated to think, well, I have to stand up and teach children. There's a ton of ways that you could uh, touch those families and help serve those families and those children. Um, one of the ways is registration. Christy and Bill Roth, oversee our prayer team ministry, but right now, because we're short-handed on servers, they have to devote their time to being out there and welcoming people and doing registration, so they're not able to do the prayer ministry like they'd like to do it and pray before the service and after the service, so we actually need help at the registration people, at the registration table, so that the prayer ministry can be up and running at full, at full throttle. We also need people that can show up a little bit early and help do setup and can stay a little bit late. And, and do put away. Uh, 
We need people that, that can help with tech. We have a variety of ways that you can serve here. Um, registration. We need people to help greet. We need some auditorium greeters. Uh, and then, I, like I said, the urgent need for the children's church. So, how can you help this church serve others? Uh, you can email Diane or Megan, contact at gracelifechurch.com or serving at gracelifechurch.com. Or you can go on the Church Center app and you can sign up uh, to serve, to be an ambassador, and you'll get an email. It's, we've made it as easy as we can for you to get in on this. So how can you be, let this church serve you? Join a community group. How can you help this church to serve others? Uh, sign up for helping be an ambassador in some role or some function at this church. And hopefully, I think the third week is what we're planning to do in, in, in September, we can open back up K through fifth grade, and we can continue to serve in a, in a way that's going to be helpful. So, well, listen, as, as we close out this service with, with communion, it's very fitting that we would use this chapter because that was the Passover feast. That was Jesus showing how God has, has come to pay the ultimate penalty for our sin and to be crushed on our behalf and to shed his blood as 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 atonement for us to be cleansed and to be forgiven. So I'm going to pause and pray and ask our servers to prepare to come and, and serve us communion and ask you to prepare your heart. And would you do that now with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this powerful passage, for the picture we see here of the Son of God coming and, and not thinking this was beneath his dignity. He, you condescended in an unspeakable act, Lord, of humility. And you became a human being and you became a servant, and you became a servant who stooped to serve others, including your enemies, including those who would betray you and fail you and sin against you. And that's all of us, Lord. I know mighty cathedrals have been built where these disciples uh, were painted with halos above their head, and uh, Lord, soon after this, you would send the Holy Spirit, and these men would be changed. But they suffered from the same issues we suffer from, Lord, weakness and fear and laziness. And we need your help, just as they did. We need that same spirit to come and fill us. We need the same message of the gospel to penetrate our hearts, Lord, and to galvanize us, and to liberate us, and to free us, and to give us courage and faith where it's lacking. What we do in here, Lord, make it more powerful than what's going on out there. And it's going to be an upside-down kingdom, Lord. It's going to be counterintuitive Help us to do that and prepare our hearts to receive communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as our worship team plays, just want to remind everybody what communion is. This is a powerful picture of what Jesus came to do on our behalf. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what the Apostle Paul said about the night that we read earlier from John 13. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood.
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Apostle Paul is telling us this is a remembrance of the gospel. This is reminding ourselves what the, the mission and the accomplishment of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was. He came and he poured himself out literally as a drink offering. He poured himself out as a sacrifice on our behalf. And we forget that. We forget that every day of our lives. And God understands our forgetfulness, our gospel amnesia. And he gave us visible pictorial reminders. This is, this is a sermon that we're preaching to ourselves every time we do it on the first Sunday. Um, and this is a little bit different right now during COVID-19. It's, uh, we have these little peel-off things, so it's safe and it's been sanitized. So uh, that's hopefully not going to be a concern to anybody. But this, this in no way makes you a Christian. This is for people who have already been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And if, if you have not repented of your sins and trusted Christ, then I would plead with you. Instead of receiving communion today, receive Christ into your heart. Ask him to forgive you, to cleanse you, to make you acceptable to him. That's what Jesus came to do. So as our servers come now, our ambassadors, and uh, distribute this, you can hold on to it. And I'll be reading some scriptures for you to reflect on and meditate on, and then we'll partake of this together. verse 12 in John 13, the last part of that passage. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's amazing. Not only is this a call to serve, but Jesus is saying this is the blessed life. I think so many people are grasping for a fulfilling and a rewarding and a meaningful life and, and they've been taught the lie of Satan that you get that by using others and by seeking importance and by pursuing yourself and Jesus says the blessed life is serving others his life was blessed and his entire life was devoted to serving others to the extent that he gave himself on the cross the son of man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he says in verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I sent receives me, 
And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Have you received Christ? Are you reminding yourself that the only way that you are acceptable to God is because of Christ? Not your own efforts, as earnest as they are, they're flawed. And Jesus has to even clean, cleanse, and purify our prayers and our acts of service. But they please him when we do them. I'm going to read one more passage that I always read when we take communion together. This is Romans chapter 8. The very first part of it and the very last, and then we'll, we'll have communion. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just let that sit in your mind and your heart for a minute. If you are in Christ this morning, my friends, I have good news for you. There is no condemnation to you at all. You stand freed, liberated, cleansed, pardoned, innocent, righteous, and justified. You belong to Jesus. You don't have to do anything to make yourself more presentable to him. He has done everything. There's nothing you could ever do to make God love you more than he does right now because of Christ. Is that good news? <laughs> the gospel's good news. It's not good advice. The gospel is not there's something for you to do. The gospel is something has been done for you as a gift. And in the last part of Romans 8 says this. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of God, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's good news. Because of Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So as you take this wafer and you hold this in your hand, you remember this. This represents the body of Jesus Christ that was given for you, that was broken and crushed for you so that you wouldn't have to be crushed by God's wrath. It pleased the Father to crush his son. Let's take it together. And as you take this juice and you drink this, remember... This was the blood of Jesus Christ. The life is in the blood, the Old Testament said. And Jesus had to shed his blood because sin has to be atoned. And the only way that sin could be atoned for is by death and by blood and by a substitute. So this is the, the, lamb of the, the blood of the lamb who was sent to take away the sins of the world. Our sacrificial substitute lamb. Let's drink it together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of grace and forgiveness for this amazing church that you have created, Lord. This is your, we are in Christ. We belong to you. We are precious to you. We are your own. I pray that you would fill us with love today, with a sense of overwhelming conviction, Lord, that we belong to you and that we have assurance 
And may that liberate us and galvanize us and free us to serve others, Lord, around us, out there and in here in the church. Help us to get in on this, Lord, and even resemble more of our Savior when we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, servants, you can take your seat. And uh, just a couple of things. We're going to sing a hymn because the Bible says when they were done at the, in the upper room, they crossed the river and they sang a hymn together. So we're going to sing a hymn, but don't leave after that because Megan and Diane have just a, a few important announcements for us before they dismiss us. But would you please hold on to these and dispose of these in the back? School is in session now. We want to take good care and be a good witness to the, to the school here. So you guys want to lead us in a hymn? All right. Check. Awesome. Praise God. 
Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to tag team announcements today. The first thing that um, I just wanted to remind you about was that um, the restoried support group for women um, who may have been victims of a, or were victims of abuse or trauma um, is starting this week on Thursday, and it's a 10-week um, group. Um, there are still a couple of spots left for that. So if you know somebody or that's something that you would like to participate in, you can go to our website, um, gracelifeflorida.com slash counseling. Um, and Melissa has an awesome link um, that you can get all registered there. It's right there on our page. Um, and then the next thing that we wanted to kind of touch on in depth that Tommy had mentioned was community groups. And um, Diane Hendricks, who many of you know is also my mom, so I'm not going to refer to her as Diane. Um, um, she's going to kind of walk through each area so that you can put a face to that community group. There, We have facilitators, we have co-facilitators, and there's host homes and the co-host home. So kind of um, tag teaming in community groups too. So I'm going to hand that over and let uh, her talk about that. Okay, I'm really excited. As I looked at all of the people who signed up to serve, I was like, oh, I want to be in their group, and I want to be in their group, but I can't be in every single one. But I'm just really excited to share with you who will be leading uh, this year's community groups. For our Deltona group, the facilitator will be Sam. Um, Sam, how do you pronounce your name? Where are you? Mahalik. I didn't want to mess it up. Sam Mahalik is our uh, facilitator for that group. Uh, Cliff. Patterson, our elder, is, is co-facilitator for that group. Aliyah Gonzalez, and um, as well as the Padillas, will be the host homes. They will they'll alternate um, every other month. And so, uh, just to share, you know, I don't want to call it a burden, but share the joy, right? Share the joy of being able to open up their their homes. Then we have the Orange City group. We have Bill and Christy um, Roth, who are the facilitators, and as well as the host home. And then also um, Bobby Mitchell, who is co-facilitator and co-host home there in Orange City. And that one's, let me back up a little bit, though. The other, um, the Deltona group is meeting on Wednesday evenings from 6.30 to 8.30. That's important that you know that. And then the Orange City group is meeting on Friday nights from 7 to 9. Uh, then we have our um, Southeast Land group. Facilitator Steve Ekman, co-facilitator uh, Jason Umberger, and um, Jason is also uh, the host home. And then the co-host home is um, Wendy and Mark Hart. They're in the back. They serve communion today. Uh, we didn't get their picture up there in time, but um, uh, um, come see me, and I can introduce you to them if that's uh, the place where you would choose. And then the Southwest Deland. Oh, thank you. See, this is why we need both. We have so much going on um, right now, which is awesome. I love it. Um, but two are better than one, right? They can help each other in everything they do. So they're meeting at, on Wednesdays at 6.30 as well, 6.30 to 8. So that's an hour and a half group if you're you know, thinking about, okay, this is the amount of time I have. This is the day of the week that I'm available. You know, there are different options. Um, you know, we really want to just kind of strip away any obstacles from getting you into a group. And then we have Southwest Deland, which the facilitator is Kyle Judkins, co-facilitator Matt Kokari, and the um, host home is it's at Matt's house, and then the Claytons will be also a uh, co-host home. Now, the Southwest Deland group is a great group to visit if you have children, because how they, um, how they operate that group is they have childcare in the Clayton home, and then the actual group at Matt's, which is 
you know, real close. They're right in the same subdivision. So if you have kids, um, we encourage you to check out. Um, you can really uh, be a part of any group, but that would be one that would be most accommodating for families. And then the last group that we have, I'm really excited about this, is the online group. The facilitator for that will be Brent Carnathan and the co-facilitator Mark. And, um, and I just, I love that Mark's uh, going to be a part of that group too because we haven't been able to see him um, it, because he's being cautious and that's awesome. But we're looking forward to connecting uh, with him uh, online through Zoom. So we'll get you that information as well. If you sign up for that group, we'll give you the Zoom uh, link and everything that you need to be ready for that group, okay? That group is going to meet on Sundays. Um, at, and so uh, all that information for you is in the lobby on the cart for community groups if you, um, or online through the app. But if you need any help at all, just come see one of us in the back and we will help you uh, get plugged into a group. Uh, what happens next? So what happens if you sign up? If you sign up today, all of the names in that group will go to the community group leaders and they will be in touch with you this week as well as you'll receive either an email or a text with the address and the exact information that you need for that group. So the date, the time, the address. So please sign up in the, in the um, lobby on the carts, see me or Megan or use the Church Center app and then you'll receive this evening, all of the information that you need for those groups, okay? We can share. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to mention that we don't have a slide for, but um, you can find on our website under um, events um, is the Ambassador Hub. Tommy kind of mentioned, he said you can email um, myself, um, or my mom, my email is contact at gracelifeflorida.com. Hers is serving at gracelifeflorida.com. But the easiest way um, is to visit our website under events, and there's a, uh, an ambassador hub, um, and it says go. Um, you can fill out a form, and it has every single area of ministry listed. And you can check one, you can check multiple that you're interested in, that you can find out more information about. Um, and it's all right there, which is a super simple way to get connected or to learn more information about how you can serve. Um, but I thought I should mention as well that if you're wondering how the rhythm of serving works, the majority of our um, ambassadors serve two weeks on and four weeks off. We feel that it's super important that you still get an opportunity to worship uh, consistently and that you're not um, disconnected from our time together here um, too many weeks in a row. We don't, the goal is to not tire anybody out. We want to be able to serve um, joyfully and uh, we want to make sure that you are feeling that same exact way. Um, I and Diane, my mom, will be in the lobby. Um, if you need any help finding the Ambassador Hub or community groups online or you have any questions, um, we'll be there um, out there if you need some help or want to talk. Um, Lastly, if you want to stand together, we will say our charge. And it will be on the screen to easily follow along. Oh, we're going to have like background music too. No, I'm not. Um, all right, all together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. 
I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.